May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Many of us know the Lord's Prayer by heart. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Some of us learned it as children growing up in the faith, others of us picking it up as central to the vernacular of Christian worship, using it in almost all of our Book of Common Prayer liturgies, with a few word variations here and there, depending on who you learn the prayer from. Some members of our community practice a personal prayer style called centering prayer that seeks to allow practitioners a time of quiet contemplation, a practice of letting go of excessive, unrelated thoughts and words that distract the mind when trying to be still and know God. Centering prayer can be an individual practice, or it can be done in community, as here at the Chapel of the Cross, members gather for a sit. Some members of our community pray most happily and faithfully through singing hymns, letting the words and phrases and breathing together and harmony resonate in a moment of divine connection through communal sound and offering the rest of us a chance to chime in or simply receive the gift of its effervescence. A prayer form you may be less familiar with, though, is an ancient prayer practice known most commonly as the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Jesus Prayer is an Eastern Orthodox practice that has been attributed to 14th century monastic communities of Mount Athos, a mountain range on a peninsula of northeastern Greece. This style of piety, or prayer practice, called hesychasm, meaning quiet, is the practice of repeating this phrase over and over again, a meditation in silence or aloud that fulfills Paul's invitation to pray without ceasing. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. The associated physical posture accompanying this prayer practice was chin to chest, eyes gazing toward the navel, hoping to perceive the divine light of Christ, like the light observed in the story of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountainside. Controversy over this practice was one element of division between Eastern and Western churches and is the source of the familiar and discourteous expression, navel-gazing. Having just heard the Gospel reading, you can see where the phrasing of this hesychastic prayer was originally inspired. In Jesus' parable, two different prayers enter the temple— one who has a very clear agenda to discuss with God, self-praise, self-congratulations, and insult to those he deemed as beneath him, beneath his piety, beneath the worth and value that his own prayer brought forth as a sacrifice to God. The other prayer 
a man whose job was despised and looked down upon, a tax collector, a Jew who worked for Roman authorities collecting taxes from the Jewish people, thus an ethnic traitor, a pariah, an outcast within his own community. This man humbles himself and asks for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One is haughty and self-important, the other is humble and self-reflective. One believes he understands all that God must see in what he deems are his own good works and is prideful, the other recognizes his own role in society, his experience of being marginalized in community, yet his isolation does not keep him from wanting to be seen and received and forgiven by God. His faith in God's mercy is what allows him to ask it when everyone else sees fit to point their finger his way and say, thank God I'm at least better than that guy over there. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus teaches us through this example that our communication with God, no matter what form they may take in our day-to-day lives, ought to have a starting place that reflects the truth of our imperfection, even acknowledging the unattainability of perfection in these bodies in this world. The prayer that says that we may perfectly love you is an aspirational prayer. Because acknowledging the truth, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, is to admit that we participate in and are responsible for the things we have done and the things we have left undone. The manifold sins and wickedness that we are capable of, that God does indeed see in our hearts, in our actions, and hears in our confession. When we start our prayer from a place of humility, we are reminded that we rely on God, that we are dependent upon God for all things, that all things come to us by way of the Father, for which we are thankful, and for which we must be good stewards, good neighbors, good servants to that which we are being called into with our hearts minds, and bodies. To enter into prayerful conversation with God from a place that venerates ourselves and disparages those we wish to separate ourselves from is to commit idolatry, idolatry of the self, and to miss the point of bringing our prayers to God in the first place. Having spent a few days this week with students and campus ministry leaders from across the country called together to Indianapolis, Indiana by the Lilly Endowment, whose grant funds actively support several projects of our campus ministry, it was humbling to be invited to that powerful table and to speak with modesty and with some points of pride at what our investment in the spiritual and vocational lives of our young people is doing for them and for us. Far from an exercise in navel-gazing, the gathering leadership exemplified again and again the value of showing up 
speaking the truth, even the hard truth, of the struggles of mainline campus ministries in our diverse contexts in a time of rising Christian nationalism. Campus ministry nationwide is grappling with years-long ripple effects of COVID, the difficulties of facing the racism, homophobia, misogyny that students experience on campus, and the economic disparity and scarcity of resources, all stressors for so many of us in different ways. Our futures are not certain. Our students' futures are not certain, and yet they come into this place as earnest prayers, as fellow prayers, and they show up in our pews and at our home-cooked meals and at our student events and invitations in hopes of finding peers and companions in prayer, Bible study, theological reflection, seeking companions whose lives reflect a faith in God who is with us through the struggles and the celebrations, a God who knows the depths of our human grief and who nourishes us through bread and wine to step into the world yet again, fed, forgiven, renewed. The posture of prayer suggested by the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, can feel like a heavy burden to lift, a deep vulnerability, an admission so powerful that it might leave us aching to take it back. But the humble, the earnest, the honest, the vulnerable will be lifted up, will offer sincere prayer that asks for and receives in response God's compassion and presence. The prayer who informs God of what their righteousness, their rightness, their expectation of being seen and received and honored, they will be humbled. Perhaps your own prayer practice takes on one of the forms I mentioned earlier, or perhaps you have your own blend of words and silence song and recitation that infuses your prayer life. What I think this gospel calls for us to pay attention to here is not so much the form as the intention. What is one communicating to God when saying the words Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread? What does one receive from God when the prayer posture is silence, listening, seeking an experience of peace and freedom from all the demands of our time and attention. How is God blessed through the act of singing, being in community, using the musical and creative gifts God has given us when we offer prayers through the centuries-old texts and reverberating sound? What does a posture of humility and seeking mercy tell us Tell God about what a person's needs and wants to receive from God through prayer. Jesus said, bring your whole self, imperfect love and all. Lord Jesus Christ, pray for me, a sinner. And here, the comfortable words that follow the confession and absolution 
from our Rite One service in the Book of Common Prayer. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perfect offering for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Lord Jesus Christ, pray for me, a sinner. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.